After experiencing the transformative power of a regular meditation practice, it's natural to feel inspired to share this gift and guide others on their own journey of discovery through meditation. Join Buddhist teacher David Nickturn and Duncan Trussell, comedian and creator of the Netflix animated series The Midnight Gospel, for a free online event on Tuesday, May 7th at 6 p.m. Eastern Time. They'll discuss the profound practices of mindfulness Dharma Moon's renowned Mindfulness Meditation Teacher Training Program. Get certified by Dharma Moon to teach meditation, lead group practice sessions, and work with individual students. Visit dharmamoon.com slash beherenow for more info and to reserve your spot for the free online event with David Nickturn and Duncan Trussell. Rolling, Dave Silver and I, Raghu Marcus, uh, we're in Asheville together, where I live, and he came all the way down the river on the Hudson from Riverdale, and yeah. boating. Yeah, and it's beautiful here. People are so lucky they live in Asheville, because it's very, very, it's just, you know, it's earth and trees and sky and lakes and animals and beautiful stuff. Anyway, Welcome. Hi, everyone. I'm going to play uh, It's a surprise uh, podcast day. Every once in a while, we have a surprise a podcast day. And uh, so today, Dave, I'm going to play you a song. Great. Okay, I'm not going to tell you nothing. And uh, we'll, let's, let's just see if it, if it works. Before you slip into unconsciousness I'd like to have another kiss Another flashing chance And bliss Another kiss Another Days are bright and filled with pain And close me in your gentle rain The time you ran was too insane that in a long time no but remember how resonant it was back then it just stuck out on the radio crystal ship the doors and for those five people who don't know this uh jim morrison and Mansrick chose the name the doors based on aldous Huxley's book the doors of perception that shows where they were coming from right from the start they were amazing right Raga? you don't think there's more than five people who might not know the doors i mean i don't know 
I mean, people is, seem is to know them. People seem to know them you know? from all generations. I don't know. Maybe not. We'll I see. mean, the obviously the Beatles. Yeah, no, I'm I'm probably completely stupid that everybody's oh. no, you know, because Jim Morrison was such an icon. Well, the reason that this came up uh, into my mind, and I use this uh, song as a as an opener for the podcast, is that I found a uh, a quote from Jim Morrison that. Is, is like emblematic of our thrust here on the uh, podcast in terms of it really is underlies a lot of what we always talk about. Uh, I'm going to read it to you, Dave. The most important kind of freedom is to be what you really are. You trade in your reality for a role. Who talks about that? My God. You trade in your sense for for an act. You give up your ability to feel and in exchange put on a mask. There can't be any large-scale revolution until there's a personal revolution on an individual level. It's got to happen inside first. Jim Morrison. That's really... Uh, you know, I, I was a little bit shocked. I knew he was sort of an advanced guy, even though he was... Mm. He wasn't that bad a junkie, is what we hear. He, But he did die of a heroin overdose, yeah. and he was in and out of it. Um, the The other thing that gets me here is that in this particular uh, song, and, you know, we, we talked about it in the beginning... Dave and I, do you know what this song's about? No, I don't know what it's about. Christ- How come you don't Christ- know what it's about? I, you know, because like you said, it, I just get the feel of them. I, even with Dylan sometimes, someone said, you know, what is It's All Over Now, Baby Blue is about? I'd say, mm, it sounds, I just like, yeah, I don't no, like it. You get so everything. So Crystal Ship seemed to me like a dream a, and a, a hope. We'll meet again, you know, we'll meet again. It was so much, almost. I wrote like, down oh. one of the lines. Oh, please. And it completely uh, ties into the to this quote. Tell me where your freedom lies is one of the, uh, you know, one of the lyrics. Ah. So he, obviously, this is something he thought about a lot. I mean, he wrote barrels of poetry, right? I mean, that's true. I don't know if it's all out there at this point. But, uh, so this segues to our... Yeah, well, our, our... Shambhala Sun Yeah, article. part part two, really. This is part we, two, yeah. We did another podcast about this, and it's about uh, uh, an issue, which actually is September 2013... Uh, and the the headline on the cover and the sort of theme is, you are perfect the way you are, and you could use a little improvement. Which, by the way, David thinks is um, we 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 have to find a word for what he really thinks. But but he does think that it's a little bit it's a cute, insubstantial. Cutesy, cutesy, too cutesy. No. I love it, and it's uh, Suzuki Roshi who's like. <laughs> <laughs> he brought Zen Buddhism to America. I mean, he is like yeah. The he he, he cares what I think where he's now. You know, he really doesn't care that I think it's cute. I don't think he'd care. You know, if he wasn't there. <laughs> oh, that makes me feel bad. Okay, but let, let's just repeat it. You are perfect the way you are, and you could use a little improvement. So there are several articles we discussed one in the last podcast about it, or in the last one about John Tarrant. About yeah, John Tarrant's fantastic. article. This is. Uh, let me set it up. It's called Unscrunch Your Mind. And it's by a woman uh, called Sylvia Borstein. And she says she shares a practice she uses to smooth out life's rough moments. She's a good friend of uh, Sharon Salzberg's, by the way. I, we're pretty narrow. We have a few people we like. <laughs> right. We don't like anybody else. Right. If there's somebody we're missing... Oh, here's a, gra- a big diversion. Okay, I'm sorry. Okay, but... I am re- I, can you just hold your place with Sylvia? Yeah. Yes. Sylvia will be okay. She's... You know, we're connected to her. She'll be fine. But <laughs> when I said, gee, I... I hope people will call. You know, if we get too narrow with all of these things, you know, it's a little narrow maybe around Buddhism and bhakti. You know, the favorite people that we, we like as teachers. If it gets too narrow, then let us know, you know, so we should get some feedback, right? And then even recommend. So that happened. That's yes. That's what I want to tell you. Oh. That happened to us uh, over at ramdas.org. Um, we, uh, we got a, we got a, you know, 
an email, just a random email saying, you know, I really like, because we have a section up there that's called Featured Teacher. And it's where we feature some, just like we're doing on the show here. We feature people we like. And we think, you know, obviously in this case, uh, they have some connection to Ramdas. So here was somebody, we get this thing, and and said, look up this guy. His name is Omram Mikhail Ivanov. I'm like, wow. So we look at, and this man is absolutely a beautiful man. He's from Bulgaria. He's settled in France. He was born in 1900, and he died in 1986. And he, he was a major teacher over there. And I'm reading, well, this is, sounds fantastic. You know, never heard of him. And then I'm reading on, and it says in 1958, he traveled to India for a year where he met various masters. Right, who? Ananda Maima, who is, you know, who is like Maharaji, and Swami Shivananda, who I did not meet. He passed before. Uh, we were there not that long. Swami Nichananda, who we did have a, a relationship with through uh, Swami Muktananda. Uh, Lama Anagarika Govinda, who lived up right where we were. He was a tremendous Tibetan scholar. And last but not least, <laughs> Neem Karoli Baba, Maharaji, from whom he received the name Om Ram. So, then, you know, I go further into it and just, what what is this guy about? So here's, I have this quote, and it fits perfectly with this article, okay? It absolutely does, because it's all about cultivating ways to, in the first, uh, in the first uh, story we had, or article we had from last podcast, it was about reaching, okay? About reaching out, mm. reaching out, and we talked about awareness, and we talked about reaching out relative to uh, propitiating a, a deity and so that that energy could you could merge with it. So here's this guy. It takes here's a quote from it takes years of study and particular conditions to acquire knowledge. Acquiring willpower is equally lengthy and difficult. And he's talking now about the, the uh, path of the intellect, Gyan yoga. But anyone, can express love easily and instantly because love is right there inside you and it is only up to you to find it. Wherever you go, whoever you meet, you will always have love in your heart and the possibility of expressing it. It's not a matter of loving this or that person in particular, but of feeling love as a spring ready to bubble up a radiant energy brimming over and pouring out into infinity. Pretty hip guy here that we never heard of. And so we all thought that Bhagavan Das, you know, and, and I'm, I may be really trailing off here for a sec. Well, we'll, um, we'll, what, we'll listen. We're here. You will? Yes, we will. Are you interested? Yes. Thanks. Um, we, we thought that uh, Bhagavan Das was the first, you know, in the 60s, right, who met Neem Karolibha. Then we heard there was a couple of people right around that time or a little bit from England that had met him. We heard that. But we never heard about this Omram. Uh, and I'm still trying to run this down to find out, does anybody know and remember if this guy came? But by reading what he, his... Who sent it to you, Raghu? I mean, how did it, you know it, came, to, it came to roundus.org? Who sent yeah, it? Just a, somebody who I having trouble tracking back to the actual email to just thank them. But it was just somebody who goes to ramdas.org and likes the featured teacher section, which is, it is great. It has, you know, every week you can, hmm. you know, get a different teaching and get a different uh, concept going with somebody else. Um, anyhow, I, cause so when I said we are a little narrow, please do write to us if you think there's anybody out there that we should be hip to or that we've forgotten about that we should introduce. Let's do. Okay, sorry. Well, it Paul, ties in David. directly, actually, Raghavik. You're right. Um, Sylvia Borstein's article is called Unscrunch Your Mind. Let me just read the first paragraph. You sort of have to. Remember, Sylvia, be happy. That's what my meta teacher, Sharon Salzberg, always said to me as I left her room after my practice interviews with her 30 years ago. I usually had my hand on the doorknob ready to leave, and it was some time before I realized that this was a practice instruction and not a quaint salutation. Nor did I realize that 
be happy, an instruction that implies choice, was an expression of the third of the Buddha's four noble truths, that peace is possible in this very life, indeed right now, no matter what our circumstances. So, um, Sylvia first recalls that Sharon said be happy when she left, and it wasn't just, oh, you know, see you later. It was part of those, um, those maxims that she teaches in Metta. And what's really fascinating is that uh, Sylvia Borstein ends the paragraph by saying that this is available right now in the Buddhist tradition, but in your tradition, in your life, to reach for this stuff that's already there in you, totally brimming over, as uh, Raga read from the, from the great Omram. And what Jim Morrison said, too, that you can't actually do anything outside until you go, you completely investigate inside and meditate and, and stop the world that's distracting you and go inside. So that's a very optimistic thing for people to, for me to hear at any rate, that, you know, this is available. It's just the willpower, as the man said, to decide that you're going to tap into it and not allow all the distractions that are making you crazy in any case at least I feel this way, mm. um, to overtake you completely. So this is Sharon's and Sylvia's words. Just be happy now. Like be here now, except be happy now. And you can be. Even That's not at all just idealism or some fantasy or I could never do that. I'm going to have to work with a, a shrink for 17 years at a cost of $160,000 in order to evaporate all of these neurotic, disturbing emotions that are in you, whereas this approach uh, says definitively, no, maybe that will help you, but you can find love. You know, I, we've talked about this before, but uh, so long ago, nobody will remember. Um, back in the day, when I was sitting around listening to The Doors and Dylan and all that, I, I was not happy. At all. I mean, I was, I had a glimpse then because I had taken acid, but I still didn't have any kind of, as Ram Dass calls it, a, a road map. So I didn't have any idea of what to do, what not to do. I knew there was something else out there. And I went to a friend's house and he had a poster on his wall of this Indian saint. And it said, don't worry, be happy. And he had this big, huge-ass grin on his face. I don't know. I looked at that thing and I went, oh, Christ, yeah. I mean, I totally got down with it that this was oh, some hope. And that's what she's, you know, that's what she's indicating as well here, that there's some, you know, some hope. And, but I, and and later, actually, when when I met uh, Maharaji Neem Karoli Baba, um, it's funny because David and I were working on some uh, videos today and and uh, going through some footage, and I was telling this story in, in one of the retreats that we do. And basically it was about my father coming to see us, my brother and I in India. And in the course, and this is a famous story where he basically told me to give my father acid. He didn't tell me. He asked me, did he take it? Anyhow, in the course of that darshan, that meeting, he said to my father, you know, you're, you're really... First he said, you've been here, you've been to India before. And of course, my father had never been in that body to India. That was a funny kind of thing. And then he said, uh, and you have a, your own sincere quest going on inside. So, uh, you know, you didn't come here just to see your sons. But, you know, anyhow, you, how are you? How are they? How do you think they're doing, he said. And my father said, well, they seem to be happy. And Maharaji said, happiness is everything. In that moment, I was so pregnant with so much stuff. And I think, I, mean, I don't mean stuff. I mean pregnant with so many different levels. Mm-hmm. Um, we're not talking about going, you know, we're happy. Uh, yeah, we, the Giants won yesterday. We're pretty happy. 
Well, that's uh, so rare yeah. these days. Yeah, that's true. That could it's make actually you really a happy. cause for happiness. Yeah, yeah, that's true. So no, but I know what I know what you're saying. It's a deeper, deeper thing. It's uh, part of a teaching instruction to get there. You can't just well. Go, no, you know what yeah. I think it is. I think it's it includes contentment, uh, or it includes like. Um, um, may all beings be okay. That's not what they say. May all beings uh, be okay with whatever th- comes their way in the moment. May you know? So there, there's a contentment thing. It's contentment's not even the right word. It doesn't quite say, but I, I think people will know what you mean by that because it's sort of like not fighting it. Except you know? there's a yeah, there's a surrender acceptance, but not a dumb one, a, a, oh. an intelligent one of allowing it to be and that is true happiness you know and in that sense we were back in india you know we were just understanding what the possibilities were obviously mm. you know sitting with this being but i i do believe that um contentment in the way of of a very active uh, awareness of allowing whatever it is to be and 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 of course there's tremendous suffering all the time day to day i mean not you know not day to day but certainly i mean actually when you get in advanced age there there's plenty of potential for for you know more content suffering but there's suffering from from the day you're born you're crying so um to understand as we go on that there is a way that you can be with this where you're not fighting it and not in stress mm-hmm. and uh, you know and the, so that the suffer you're you're a little bit, you're on a vantage point where you're not caught as much in that suffering that's actually that's happiness that's that is a happy that's a true happiness mm-hmm. i mean I, I don't know read on in there is well there i mean more about that? again it ties in perfectly and her next paragraph is i thought happiness meant liking something or being pleased. But the happiness of non-suffering is better than that. And the promise that it is available always is the great good news of the Buddha's enlightenment. It is the good news that wisdom reveals itself whenever the mind is balanced and alert and that wholesome decisions can prevail in the face of challenge. Um, In the face of challenge. So she's alluding to the process, a dynamic, which is beautiful dynamic, of letting go. And um, contentment, yeah. I I remember when I first took a real psychedelic um, substance, which in my mind was not LSD, it was peyote. Hmm. Because I took it in a ritual with uh, 400 Native Americans in South Dakota. And 400? 400. It's the biggest gathering of Native Americans uh, for a peyote meeting in the 20th century. And um, myself and my wife were invited to it. So um, after it, and it was an all-night experience like those are, and you take a, va- a large, large amount of the medicine, uh, the following morning I couldn't get out of contentment, no matter how hard I tried. Mm-hmm. With all my, my neurosis seemed like little schmooze a mile away. They weren't at all on me. And sitting on the ground there, somewhere near a teepee we were living in, very honored to be with these peyote masters, um, I just felt that it would never leave. I thought, okay, this is it. I did this. It wasn't easy. Now, you know, I'm 30 years old, and um, the rest of my life I'm going to be content and happy. That didn't happen, obviously, because suffering comes in quick. But the the taking of the substance of the medicine and being with these many shamans or 25 medicine men of this thing um, and being guided by their incredibly precise ritual and after it and there was a lot of a lot of pain involved in this really? I th- I, well I threw up at least 20 30 times everybody does holy jeez because we you know we took uh, 36 buttons each each that no, was, and we were told you, that we were told that by the, the, how, the master medicine man before we went in an hour or two before. How did you do that? Well, you took them in large amounts, but in three in three um, installments, and they were given to you. Were by, they what, crushed up with maple uh, syrup on them? I mean, they were they were mashed, but you know that's there were large amounts of this. That's wow. the way you do it when you really do it seriously. Yeah. 
and um, it was very difficult for me. I was scared shitless, frankly. It all seemed, I mean, I was in a huge hogam, which they built for this, which is a round temple where you do the peyote ceremony with a hole in the roof because you have a gigantic fire burning in the middle. Was there 400 people were in there one were four, place? There were 440 of us, yeah. And seated in, around in, in a round circle on the edges of the hogan on three uh-huh. layers. 400, tiers. that's 400. huge. Yeah, there were, uh, there were representatives of 60, 70 tribes. And it was the, now that we're talking about it, it was the 50th anniversary of the marriage of Henry and Mary Crodog. Henry Crodog is the chief medicine man and peyote master of the Bruley Sioux Nation, Lakota Nation. And I knew him. I'd met him in New York. Really? I knew him and his son, Leonard Crowdog, who was the um, shaman, uh, a wounded knee rebellion. So I was in with these really powerful dudes. And all I can say is that I don't want to get too flashy with this because, you know, it was amazing. But after it, I definitely felt contentment for the first time in my life. You know, like a real deep-rooted thing that was part of the planet, kind of. I felt like I was floating around with the planet. Wasn't stoned, wasn't high just completely happy. So, you know, think of what I had to go through to do that. Throwing up and taking peyote and everything. But I had, that was my path. I needed that to tell me that there was something that could be reached. And in the reaching was the ritual. And we don't have rituals in our society very much anymore. The only, the closest thing to rituals is when people go to large raves and rock concerts. You know, and that is a ritual. But, you know, I didn't go to too many peyote ceremonies, but that one made me realize what happiness really was. And mm. it's interesting because it was round about the time when, when you were meeting your um, guru, and I didn't have that pleasure, but I did, or that grace. But the grace of meeting other teachers who implanted in me that the happiness was right there mm. and absolutely, inarguably there. And that you felt it, and suddenly all the schmooze went away, and you just were okay. I can reach for this. Now it doesn't. It doesn't stay constantly, but that's the practice, as as Sharon says sometimes. That's the meditation, is to find that presence and that, and to live in it, and be it. Right. So anyway, um, so I went on a lot about that. I'm not sure. No, I. I. You know what? It made me think of uh, the whole. I just got a really good feeling around the native american thing you know that's something we've never talked about actually no i'm and i had such it changed my life forever i was the luckiest man in the world to have been invited i mean to that thing it's unbelievable yeah yeah yeah. some other time i'll say why i was invited which was equally interesting why do we have to wait oh well i'll just tell you there was in in uh, 1973 there was a a ceremony in new york uh by a bunch of peaceniks when they invited leonard crow dog who was a medicine man of the Lakota Nation, uh, to come to New York. And he asked if he could find um, what he called a red man, which was him, uh, a yellow man, which was a nation. And these, please don't be offended by these terms because he meant it in the highest way. Um, uh, an African-American and a Caucasian. And they had like a little vote about it. And they voted for me to be the, the um, Caucasian. <laughs> So I was invited to a 85th Street in a West End. token Caucasian. A token Caucasian, yeah. And, I, you know, we went to this house on 83rd and West End Avenue. And it was a penthouse and large apartment. And Leonard conducted a ceremony there, a peyote ceremony, all night. And we just took a, a small amount of the medicine. And it was fantastic. And we all had an amazing time. And then the following morning, we did various Native American um, cleansing rituals. Mm. Uh, a type of sweat but we didn't we couldn't do a sweat on the upper west side we did one eventually in um, in south dakota on the rosebud reservation there are two huge reservations there one is pine ridge which is basically uh sioux but the rosebud is brule sioux and the brule sioux started the native american church in 1921 which allowed them legally to take peyote hmm. and uh so uh, six months after that experience, uh, I got a telegram. In those days, you used to get a telegram, my God. Western Union from, the, the, um, from Leonard Crowdog in, 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 on the reservation asking me if I would like to participate in this gigantic celebration for his father and mother's 50th wedding anniversary. Wow. And so I drove across country, and uh, it took me forever, and got there and lived in a beautiful, beautiful teepee. Just sitting in this teepee made me feel such peace. It was so beautiful. 
Of course, that all of this was tinged with the enormous sadness of the plight of the Native Americans, because I did, in the times I was there, I would go to the company store with the, uh, you know, run by the um, Bureau of whatever, and see what food was being offered to my friends here. And it was appalling. The whole thing was appalling. And so there was a lot of suffering, and a lot of drunkenness, and a lot of, you know, weird stuff went on around, but not in the peyote community. Right. So they invited me out there uh, to do that, and I went there. And just to make this even more dramatic, um, we, um, before the ceremony, uh, we were asked to line up outside in any order. So 400 people lined up in circles around the Hogan. And then Leonard Crowdog uh, came up to me and said, I want to talk to you now. And I thought, oh, I, was so, I was so petrified of these. They were wonderful, but they were really mm-hmm. like, wow, full of the vibe, you know? I said, what, what, what's Leonard? He said, well, we did one of these before. And uh, a third of the way through the ceremony, I was watching out and I saw a, a, a white guy that we invited. And I saw his hair come off his head, caught on a nail behind <laughs> him. And I realized that he was an agent. And he was indeed an FBI agent. Wait, who, hair? What? It was a wig. The guy was disguised, just was oh. wearing a wig, but he was actually a, an FBI agent posing as a hippie. And um, the reason that they, they were trying to, you know, find out if, if any others than Indians were in these ceremonies, and also they knew that Leonard Crowdog was a militant with the Wounded Knee organization. So he said to me, Leonard said to me, look, uh, there are about 10 Caucasian people here. You don't know them all, but they're here. I want you to go up to each and every one of them and find out for me if they're for real hippies or if they're FBI. I said, okay. He said, I'll take you. And he took me and we looked, we interviewed each one of them. And I would say things like, literally, like, um, do you like Buffalo Springfield? This is the way we did it. It's like, yeah, what songs? Oh, Mr. Soul, you like that song? Great, great. Next, move on to the next one. And it was always music, you know. I say, what's your favorite Beatles album? Yeah, Revolver. Good. Well, fine. Why wouldn't the FBI know something like they that? They did. In those days, they no, didn't right, know right. shit. They were primitive in 19. <laughs> anyway, we did it. It was weird. And then not everybody, every one of these people was just wonderful, and we were all allowed mm. in. And we went in and we did the ceremony. To pull it back to what you were saying, though, the happiness that I felt then was the, the first stage for me of. Re- I mean, I'd taken acid and mescaline and all that, and that was amazing. But there was something different about this. It was mm. just like being in. It was like living in a plant, like living in the middle of a flower, looking out. It was just the earth, mm. you know. And being part of the earth was not part of my life. I was a city dude. No, that's why this whole thing is insane, really. It's some guy from, yeah. you know, rural. Um, I mean, city. What city in England were you? Well, I mean, you know, it's from basically Lancashire and Accrington, Manchester, and very city. Yeah, Manchester, very, you know, industrial cities in England. A Jewish guy, he's lucky he survived not getting, (laughs) you know, completely axed to death over there. And he gets to Boston, and, and, you know, he's the the nice new immigrant. Uh, How does, you know, a little Jewish guy gets invited out to to this incredible ceremony? And then the next thing, you know... Some years after that, you're in Jamaica with the, with the Rastas, yeah. with Bob Marley, of all things, you know, look. Well, you know, it's, it's just my karma. Life. I have a charm one for life. But I was at a party in New York recently, and, and the, the host of the party was introducing me to people that I didn't know, and they didn't know me. And she said, see, David Silver, you know what? He's kind of like Zelig. And I got really pissed off with her. I said, I'm not. I was making films. I was doing things. I wasn't just there. I mean, you know, I'm not a groupie. Zelig. <laughs> Uh, yeah, great. but th- but this this experience is one of the uh, certainly three or four most formative things that's ever happened to me, and mm, I've only yeah. spoken about it rarely because first of all, when I left, this is the other thing, when I left, uh, Leonard and Henry saw me off, so incredible men, and and Mary Crowdog also a woman of amazing stature, and you know, as I was getting in the little Volkswagen that we had, um, Leonard said, oh, you know, I hate to say this, but uh, don't talk about this or write about it. At least not for 10, 20 years. I said, really? He said, yeah, we don't like any kind of publicity. We don't want people coming here. We don't want people to know this. This is, this is a, a sacred and secret ceremony. So wow. don't write about it. So I never, I did write, I wrote 40,000 words as soon as I got home. Oh, really? Yeah, and I put them in a drawer and I've still got them. 
You're kidding. Yeah. Why uh, you publish I, it? I mean, it was, God, they told me not to. <laughs> it's 20 years, it's 40 well, years Well, maybe later. I'll think about it now, because it's, it's very detailed about what we ate and just the whole thing and being, you know, I don't have to tell you, you were in the presence of a Satguru, of a saint, of a Siddha, but I was in the presence of, of incredible men and women who um, were beautifully so humble and so smart and so tolerant of us, you know. Yeah, right. I mean, I wasn't, the, the funniest thing was I first met Henry at his, at his, he didn't live in a teepee, he lived in a corrugated hut. And I had hair kind of like Robert Plant at that time. In fact, exactly like, like it was that long. Long, oh, blonde oh, really? hair down to my shoulders. And it looked like that Zeppelin look. So I walk into the room. His son takes me in because he knew me to introduce to his father, who's the real head medicine shaman. And his father says, oh, good to me, you good to me. I said, that's so honored to meet you. He said, hmm, you look like Custer. <laughs> <laughs> so forever afterwards, he would call me Custer, <laughs> which was kind of weird, you know. Yeah, to say the least. <laughs> but he was very joking and wonderful. Mm, I have a, a a lovely quote of something I love uh, from, uh, it's actually from Chief Seattle. You've, I'm sure you've heard of him. He's a, a great uh, Native American chief. Humankind has not woven the web of life. We are but one thread within it. Whatever we do to the web, we do to ourselves. All things are bound together. All things connect. Uh, isn't that yeah. lovely? What's so great about all of this is that everybody in different traditions says it in their own way, but it's all one vision of the Atman and the connectiveness and love is just obvious. But we've, and I don't know why, who knows why. You know, I read a thing yesterday about written supposedly in two yugas back from the Kali Yuga. <laughs> and, and this, this uh, Maha guy says in it, when it gets to the Kali Yuga, the peacefulness of mind that we have now will be polluted by much thinking, thought, and anxiety. Seems to be. Seems to be, yeah, because even those of us that are involved in any kind of um, yogic practice uh, can still get rattled, like, really easy when I want to Still? Yeah. What do you mean, still? Always. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. But that's why we're, hey, a lot of the reason why we're doing these podcasts is to try, you know, when we bring this stuff up, we get reminded and we share it, and hopefully somebody else, you know, some kind of little light bulb goes off or... Or nothing, just a little entertainment on <laughs> on the side of non bad news. What else is there? In in uh, what else does Sylvia have to say? Oh, um, all right. Well, the next, I really recommend this article to you. I recommend this article to you in in Shambhala Sun. Go and buy it because, you know, on the web, on their website you get a little excerpts of these, but read the whole thing, and they need need you to subscribe to them. Someone wanna want this. Start again. Someone once asked the Dalai Lama, "Do you ever get angry?" He laughed and replied, of course, things happen. They aren't what you wanted. Anger arises. He paused and chuckled. But, he continued, it does not have to be a problem. So what do you think about that? <laughs> it does not have to be a problem. Do you want me to finish the paragraph? Yeah. She says, what I understood him to mean is that the momentary constriction that blurs the mind when anger arises, is quickly eased by the wisdom that anger is a normal neuronal reaction to displeasure, and not a mandate for any response other than clarity and kindness. Hmm. Yeah, I think that that is just straight up saying if there isn't tremendous hooks into whatever it is that you're reacting to then there isn't that big a problem so if you you know as quickly as we can recognize these flash you know these outbreaks and and obviously anger seems to be got to be one of the biggest things that that uh, people we talk to right uh, a lot of them talk about yeah anger is something that uh, I really have to do. I I know it's one of mine for sure. No, yeah. 
Okay. <laughs> you don't have to take me to task, okay? I'm doing okay, the best okay. I can. Okay. <laughs> no, you're I doing, didn't really no, mean to... You're doing great. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh, so uh, I, I think that, it, you know, that's, that's the real thing with all this. It doesn't have to be a problem. And I think that goes back to, you know, talking about uh, at- attachment. Now, there's another um, article here that has my favorite Buddhist spiritual term, okay? And that is self-cherishing. Because I, I kind of feel that, you know, between myself and everybody else that I'm interacting, you know, you're, you're always, you know, not always, I mean, I'm being dramatic, but there's a lot of, you know, that self-cherishing. In other words, you are first and what you need and what you're thinking and what you're talking about. And, you know, it's the Beatles song, I, Me, Mine, right? Uh, so here's a, a remedy for uh, self-cherishing. And there isn't a soul amongst us, not only if you have reached Siddhahood, okay, do you really stop self-cherishing. I mean... Um, there can be many different reasons why we are dissatisfied with ourselves, but they all really come down to one problem. This self-cherishing. <laughs> Putting ourselves first has a sleazy quality that gnaws at our heart and prevents us from feeling true peace. The remedy for self-cherishing is to extend our love. When we extend the love we naturally have for ourselves to include all beings, we feel our heart being cleansed from inside out. So that's, I love, see, they bring up these things and they're called, you know, the disturbing emotions. Like, um, there's this other, I think we've talked about her, um, who, yes, of course, right, our the guru, really, of, of mind-rolling, Khandro Rinpoche, who I found by virtue of uh, having um, uh, taken part in a workshop with uh, the sixteenth, uh, the 17th Karmapa uh, uh, electronically online from Woodstock, where, that, uh, where their uh, temple is and their center is. And then this, I found out about Khandro, and then, you know, she... So here was... <laughs> The reason, the only reason I bumped into her and I became interested was because the t- of the title of the workshop she was going to give. And that was uh, Transforming Disturbing Emotions. And I thought, here we, you know, I got plenty of them. So I, uh, so I did do the, do the weekend. And, and I don't know how many were listed. I think there's something, it's like 22 disturbing emotions and, of course, anger. 80, 84,000. 84,000. That's what the Zogchen people say. Well, okay. I guess for, you know, neophyte beginners, we could only deal with 22. Um, <laughs> but the good thing about it was that for every one of these uh, disturbing emotions, there was an antidote. And here, so the antidote for... Uh, putting yourselves first and walking around the world relating like that is to start having, you know, relating with, with a, once you start relating with love, because love is, you know, you're going to have, uh, an exchange with somebody or something, even if it's just a tree, not just a tree. I shouldn't even say that, you know, as a tree, which, um, we can relax our painful self-cherishing and strengthen our love for all beings by making this prayer. So here's here's the prayer, and um, you know this this is the this is the, the crescendo of of this podcast, Dave. May all sentient beings be happy. May all sentient beings have a meaningful life. May all sentient beings have the great satisfaction that they desire. So this this is a grand offering, you know, and if you actually repeat this prayer, uh, you know, our love for ourselves will be replaced by a universal love for all sentient beings. So here, I mean, it's a simplistic thing too, right? I mean, may, may all beings be happy. 
And how about meaningful life? I love that because I mean, I, you know, you look around and you see people, and there's a lot of suffering in not having, you know, the job that they have, or they they're alone, and there's loneliness, and and you don't meaningful life is that's a uh, that's not a term I've come across in a way that you can say a prayer. So I love that, and may all sentient beings have. May everyone be satisfied for what they desire. I mean, so this this kind of uh, compassionate heart, I mean, I think that's the most important thing that we can all be involved with. And certainly as a remedy for self-cherishing. Um, yeah, I mean, we had to go through all kinds of things. Maybe you guys out there don't have to. Just listen to Sharon or any of the Buddhist masters or none of the Buddhist masters, but just get into the process of 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 the dynamic of loving. We're the only... Loving awareness. We're the only two people that are rabidly self-cherishing? Is, is that no, no, I'm, no, I'm just saying no. But I'm saying I went through peyote ceremonies and doing all those substances and everything, and it was all rewarding and marvelous. But what I find now is that, I don't know, but people these days, I mean, since the millennials, millennials that I know, uh, people who are 20 years old, 25 years old, got some natural instincts for stuff that we had to, I had, well, speaking of myself, I had to really go through a lot of stuff to, to even get to the beginning of that integration, that interconnection, that love. And um, the main thing, I think, to say is that whatever gets you through the night, you know, and that's not indulgent. It's whatever is the transformative tool that you come upon that does it for you, it does it for you. It, it, and you don't need any of the others. You don't need to go to the supermarket of, of spiritual disciplines. You can just, uh, this doesn't, and then that, what happens then is that you start to be attracted to other things that pull you towards this thing, and hopefully the disturbing emotions. It is true, though, Raghu, that I read in, in Tolku Orgin, one of Tolku Orgin Rinpoche's books, that there are 84,000 disturbing emotions mm. and exactly 84,000 antidotes. Mm. Yeah, it's tremendous. And, you know, and we, how many do I know of those antidotes? I know 11. And we're going to be here a while talking about this <laughs> shit. Right? Yeah, right. Oh, God. <laughs> Oh boy, oh boy. Um, we have totally forgotten a very, very important part of our show. Oh, here it comes. What, what we need to keep reminding is what we're told. In fact, we're supposed to do it at the beginning of the show. Oh. Okay, all right. Uh, let's Duncan, if it. you ever listen to this, we're sorry. We should, we, you told us to do it at the beginning, the end, the yeah. middle, everywhere. So, Amazon, audible.com, donation and merchandise now let's break that down amazon.com there is a portal a banner on our website mindrollingpodcast.com which says amazon if you press that you can buy anything you particularly want or desire from amazon and you don't pay any extra and we get a small but reliable percentage I'm getting bored hearing it. <laughs> it's horrible, but I've I, got it down now. So come on. No, it's good. audible.com is another banner and that's the great um you know um, what do you call those things? I can never think of it. What? Spoken word on tape. That's a little bit 1984. Um, you download audiobooks. Audiobooks. Okay. Audio that was hard. So basically, you're downloading files. So you download these audiobooks. They're great. They've got a million of them. There's many spiritual ones. There's political ones, economic ones, fiction, nonfiction, everything. Every time you do that, we get a fee. And um, I can tell you, they send those. Uh, checks to us fifteen dollars yeah. a person right? so you, you know can cancel your free trial after that if you don't like it yeah uh, but uh, that's a way to support us without having to do anything but click on mindrollingpodcast.com or click auto, uh, uh, amazon and, and buy all your stuff through there i keep wanting to say what duncan said he buys on amazon but it's no stop it's gross no yeah. he, and he was joking he wasn't serious i don't think so oh I, man he's absolutely. He, is he weird yeah. anyway for all the duncan fans that are still listening to us we do like him rather a lot so anyway we're taking his advice please oh. donate if you have any money left from other pursuits um, or yeah, even or if, before yeah. other pursuits. Or buy the t we still have t-shirts, okay, and mugs. So They're yeah. great. You'll be proud to wear one. And I have uh, one. Copy. You know, one thing I, I want to say to you yeah. is that... <laughs> <laughs> I'm worried. He's recoiling. I'm not... It's, it's, a, it's a compliment, okay? Oh, okay, great. Yeah. And it's not a compliment. It's a oh. compliment, actually, to the millennial generation. How okay. about that? Better. Uh, because uh, more than once on a number of, of uh, podcasts, 
you have indicated that whenever we talk about ourselves and what we came up through in the late 60s, early 70s, and compare it to what's going on now, you always talk about how they have a much more um, easy proclivity to doing the right thing and taking social action without being egomaniacs and caring about people, you know, the kind of caring we've been talking about and 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 following this last little prayer that by the way uh we didn't say who said that that's terrible can you hang on uh, yeah i'll just fill in here while you find it on the floor um he dropped it on the floor now he's picking it up and it's for a good reason so the person it's behind us is zigar control rinpoche okay this article you know the last one was sylvia uh sylvia we go to zigar control rinpoche who uh, is the founder of the Mangala Shri Bhuti, uh, furthering wisdom and practice of, of, I can't even say it, but it's Long Chen Yin Tik lineage. And his most recent book is Light Comes Through, Buddhist Teachings on Awakening, Awakening to Our Natural Intelligence. So we have to, of course, uh, th- these, uh, I've heard of him, by the way, and this was really beautiful, his whole thing around self-cherishing. And, you know, again, it's our small little world of liking, you know, Tibetan teachers and liking uh, Southern Buddhist uh, teachers and uh, our bhakti background. So uh, we invite you, especially of the millennial generation, who David has touted your uh, wisdom, heart, compassion, and service uh and uh, so uh, if there's anybody out there that we should be talking about uh or or subjects please do get with us and in fact uh coming up we we are going to be doing a podcast because uh, david and i do a bunch of these while he's here in Asheville, with a young man who uh, is a very special young man to us and we're going to get uh, his opinion and talk to him about the same kind of stuff is that uh, no? That's perfectly right, and and we we look for look forward to having him because he's younger than us, but he's um he's a good example. No, he's of, he's in his you know he's in mid thirties or yeah, whatever mid, loosely. Yeah, right? so okay. you know so that's what we're talking twenties and thirties. Yes, and he's got a take on all of this, which is which is fascinating to me yeah. at any rate. So he's going to come and and talk with us. I think uh, tomorrow. Yeah, uh, we are very happy to do these podcasts, but as one of our guests said last week. Uh, we do need support, um, and 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 therefore we boringly invite you to help us in that respect. And you have responded; people have responded, so this works to some extent. And thank you. Um, is that it? We're done, yeah, right? That's it. That's actually our. That's our. We end with our little self-cherishing thing here, right? <laughs> right. I mean, on the other hand, it's just right livelihood. I mean, we are doing yeah. this; it's part of our livelihood. Yeah. Uh, we didn't start it. Just for that reason, which maybe we're not so self cherishing. No, I'm not. You know, I'm not going to go out and buy a Hugo Boss suit on this. Yeah, you know what I mean, it's not. It's not going to happen. No, but we want it to happen. We want oh, okay. it to happen. Okay. Okay. Right? Yeah, we should be well dressed. Yes, absolutely. Well, um, anyhow, onward and forward, Dave. Okay. Talk Thanks. to you later. Yeah. Bye bye. Bye everybody. Bye.